Here's one way to save some holiday cash from the money girl, Laura Adams. Look at things like gym memberships. Did you really use it this year if you didn't go ahead and scrap it? Yes, no New Year's resolution necessary for me. Find another way to exercise. Walking, running, swimming. If there's anything that you can do that doesn't cost money each month, that's a great alternative and a great way to cut back. Oh, well, okay. But hey, at least I never have to go back to the gym. And it doesn't have to be forever. Maybe you just cut back for six months or a year, enough to help you get through the holidays. Well, so much for that idea. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, eight ways to save some serious cash so we can avoid the holiday debt hangover. Can't guarantee that you can avoid working out, though. Plus, the latest in tax reform news and eight ways to create tax-free income. And is Joe going to start charging his dear sweet mother Ruthie rent when she comes to visit him from Minnesota? Let's find out here at Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Back from the Thanksgiving weekend... Yeah. And uh, a little yeah. sluggish. Got to get well, this thing going. Out. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. I mean, it just takes a couple minutes, and we're we're professionals, right? Yes, you I got think. It. We have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, I did. It was it was just fine. Yeah, ate a little bit and right. hung out with the fam. I know your mom was in town. Oh, it was fantastic. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah, she came out for her summer home. No, I, she I just mean, came I, out for a week. Win- winter home, I should say. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, just, but just a week this yeah, time. Yeah, it was just a week. Probably buying her tickets for January. Yeah, I think she'll be Probably. back. Soon. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, uh, she's got some business to take care of back in Minnesota. And I got—I was with my cousins in Oklahoma. Yeah, it was the weather. So uh, it was warmer than expected. It huh? was probably mid-60s on Thanksgiving and mid-70s on on Friday, which is when I played golf. It was very nice. Boy, oh, did I, I think I lost a record number of balls. It's called the canyons. <laughs> and I hit every canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I bought 12 for my two sons and I, and I went through six of them. I gave them each a sleeve. You were done by six holes? Yeah, and then I found one, and then I lost it. And then one of my cousin's sons gave me four, and then Ann found two. She came along, too, and I, I ended up with two. Oh, there you go. So I was, I think by my math, I was a net 10 gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a net. Yeah. But you still scored in the 70s. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say my last two drives in 17 and 18 were beautiful. Oh, perfect. So they'll bring me back. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, you have to have something to bring you back bring when you it back. comes to golf. Hey, it's countdown to the end of the year, and tax reform is still in loom. And so what's the latest here, Al? So this is a new bill to change our taxes, to lower our tax rates for most people. So actually, some people, Jeb, will pay higher taxes, but I, I guess for the majority, maybe two-thirds or, or more, will we'll end up paying lower taxes. The House passed their version of the new tax bill. The Senate is passing their version, and the two bills have to be reconciled and agreed by both the Senate and House, and then Trump would need to sign it. But that may happen. I, I mean, as as recently for me, Joe, as maybe even a couple of weeks ago, I, I gave it kind of a slimmer chance. But now it's looking like that may actually happen, which means we would have some fairly different tax law starting in 2018. So once all of this gets washed out, we'll be able to give you a little bit better information because, yeah. man, th- so many things change it, so quickly. It, it changes by the moment. So anyway, we'll, we'll have to see. So what are some of the things that we should be doing now? Because if this does go through, there's some things that we want to make sure that we're planning on with the current tax law. Well, I, Joe, I think that's the key question, because if this does go through, it means it would, most of it would take uh, effect January 1st, 2018, but we still have a chance for 2017. 
So I guess one of the big ones right off the bat would be t- if you have any state taxes that are going to be due for 2017, please pay it in 2017 to get that state tax deduction. So even though I pay it, I, I, if, if there's an additional tax owed. Right. Right, is what you're saying. Right. Like, let's say you Because sold. I've already withheld a certain amount of money for state taxes that I'll be able to still write off. But if there's additional yeah. taxes that I owe and I pay that in April, you're saying I won't be able to write that off. You won't be able to write that off against 2018 taxes. So when, could, when would that happen? So, I mean, if you're an employee and you have enough state withholding, there's nothing you need to do. You already have your taxes withheld. But- Joe, even if you're an employee and you sold a bunch of stock at a gain or you sold a property at a gain, you're probably going to owe some state tax. And and, uh, we're doing the show in California, so we're going to focus on California, but it could be anywhere. You would owe some state taxes and the IRS would say, and and your state will likely say, you you may not need to pay that until April 15th of next year, but you may want to pay it in this month of December just so you get the tax deduction. Because uh, the new tax reform is stating that there's you, you can't write off state tax anymore. Correct. And so even though the state tax was for 2017, but if I do pay it in 2018 by April, you're stating that those dollars will not be able to, to be written off on my 2017 tax return. That's right. And and I know this is confusing for a lot of people, but that you can pay if you pay your state taxes owed with your tax return, 2017 return, you pay the taxes owed on April 15th of 2018, that means you paid it in 18, so it would become a deduction in 2018, but the new tax law, both House and Senate bill, by the way, don't allow you to take that deduction. However, in 2017, you can take that deduction. So that's why you'd want to pay that one early. But there is a caveat, and that is the uh, if you're subject to alternative minimum tax, prepaying the state tax doesn't necessarily help you because it's not an allowable deduction. So th- this is a little trickier than what I just said. You do have to determine if you're an Altman. And, and I will tell you this, for, for most of you, if your income is below maybe, I don't know, 175000 maybe 200000 you're probably not subject to alternative minimum tax. There are exceptions, by the way. If you have a lot of kids, for example, if you have high property taxes or something like that. But for most of the, most people, income below about $175,000, they are not subject to alternative minimum tax. You should prepay any state taxes due in, two, in, by, in December 2017 if, in fact, you expect to owe on your 2017 return. If your income is above that, you probably should check with your accountant to see if it even helps you or not because of alternative minimum tax. What about the 121 exclusion? You know, so right now you got two out of the last five years, right? So if you've lived in your house two out of the last five, uh, you can write off 250000 if you're single, 500000 if you're married. Right. Now that's changing to five out of eight. Is mm-hmm. that in the new Senate bill? That isn't in the new Senate bill as the House bill. So should the um, some form of this tax bill go through, you, I would expect that to happen because it's consistent in both bills. So now it's it's you still get the two hundred fifty thousand dollar exclusion if you're single, which just simply means if you bought a home for 
I don't know, $500,000 and you sell it for $750,000 and your gain is $250,000, the IRS says you don't have to pay any tax on that gain. That's what an exclusion is. So it's tax-free income to you. If your gain is higher than that, then you have to pay some capital gain tax. But if you're married, then it's $500,000. That's your exclusion. Realize, though, that if you're married, both of you need, to, need, live need to have lived in the home for two years and own the home for two years. You can't marry someone on the day before the sale and right. get another 250000 It doesn't doesn't work unless they've been living with you for two years and they actually own the property for two years, and that could work. Right, then both of them could take it. Yeah, then, then both of them could take it. But here's the change is that they're, they're changing it to five years out of eight, meaning that you have to live in your home five years out of the last eight years that you look back. Uh, it's not clear to me, Joe, what happens if you only live in the home four years. I, I'm assuming I, you don't get any exclusion, which I, I'm assume got, but I haven't, you know, we don't know what the final regulations are going to be. So I would have, I would make an assumption that you'd have to live in your home for five years out of eight in a look back period. And if you do that, you would still qualify for this exemption. Something else is at certain income levels, the uh, exemption is Faces phased out, out yeah. under the new law. Under existing law, it doesn't matter how much income you make, you get this exclusion. And I think that, I don't have it in front of me, but I think that gain, that the exclusion starts phasing out at somewhere around half a million dollars of, of income, something like that. For so, married and maybe 250 of single? Or well, it's, it's, I think it's closer to 400, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Don't quote me, but if, let's, let's just say your income is 150,000. Don't worry about it. Sure. You're, you're going to be lower. There are only a few short weeks of 2017 left. The House and Senate have passed their respective tax bills and are now working on reconciliation. However it shakes out, tax reform is going to affect us all. How will it change your strategies for retirement account contributions and distributions, collecting Social Security, withdrawal rates, estate planning, and charitable giving? Make an appointment right away to find out. It won't cost you a dime. There's three ways to do it. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Free Assessment. Call 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Learn how tax reform will affect you personally. Find out what strategies make the most sense for you in retirement. Make sure you're making the most of your situation. There are three ways to make your no-cost, no-obligation appointment. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click free assessment. Call 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Alan that time of the show. It is, Joe. We got Laura Adams, who is, uh, has a great podcast called Money Girl. And she, I, there's an exhaustive list here. She's been quoted on NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, Al Jazeera, Bloomberg, NPR, MSN, USA Today, Wall Street Journal. Should I keep on going? Keep going. <laughs> this is very... New York Times, US News and World Report, Consumer Reports, Forbes, Money Magazine, Kiplinger, and many other fine radio shows, such as Your Money, Your Wealth. Right. Millions of <laughs> listeners listen to her. We get five listeners on this show. She gets millions. True. Uh, but the best part about her resume is that she has an MBA from the only university that you anyone should ever go to is the University of Florida. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. Hey, um, it's great to have you back. We're in December, and um, let's talk about this a little bit because, you know, the holidays are coming up. And sometimes we forget about saving and we might overspend. What type of tips can we give our listeners? You know, is that, all right, well, you know, no one likes to be put on a budget because we got the sales going on. What should we do here? Yeah, so if you are 
not in a good position for spending this holiday. And as you mentioned, a lot of people are not budgeting. They really have not put money aside to spend on holiday gifts. You want to make sure that you're cutting back in other places. Otherwise, you're going to have a really bad hangover of debt after the holidays, and you don't want to start the new year that way. So what I recommend is looking at what you can do right now. How can you save money today, this week, like immediately, in order to make your holiday go a little bit more smoothly when it comes to your finances? So what I recommend is looking at the types of expenses that you have every single month. One biggie is our cell phone plans, right? We're all on our phones. We don't want to give up our cell phones, but we don't want to pay an arm and a leg for them either. So shop it. I mean, that's really the only way that we can save money as consumers is to look at what our options are and to shop. So look at a site like trackphone.com. This is a plan that is going to allow you to have talk, text, and data and you can stay connected for less. You don't even have to buy a phone. You can bring your own phone with you to the plan. Look at things like auto insurance. Can you save money there? Go to a site like insurancequotes.com and see if you can find a plan that's just as good but maybe less with another carrier. Look at things like gym memberships. Did you really use it this year? If you didn't, go ahead and scrap it. Find another way to exercise walking, running, you know, swimming. If there's anything that you can do that doesn't cost money each month, that's a great alternative and a great way to cut back. And it doesn't have to be forever. Maybe you just cut back for six months or a year enough to help you get through the holidays and you can reevaluate. You know, Alan, his workout is he walks, runs up and down his living room <laughs> stairs. That, that is one of them. I actually did 100 flights in a row a couple of weeks ago. See, there you yeah. go. All yeah. right. I'm probably burning out my knees. Yeah, that's a great but, way to get some exercise. I live in a building. I'm on like the 21st floor. Sometimes uh, I will walk up and down 21 floors, perfect. and it's cheap, and boy, it's a great workout. I've got a great idea for Joe. Instead of, uh, instead of watching his college football and basketball in the bar, go get a six-pack of uh, Coors Light on the way home and, and go home. Wow! You save lots of money. Yeah, I would. Thank you, thank you, Alan. Uh, well, you know, what are some other tips that we? Can, I mean, those are awesome. I mean, save you a few hundred bucks, and there you go. What you know, when it comes to shopping, right? Is is there some things that we can do to find better deals? Um, you know, to to save some some money on the other end. Absolutely, I love shopping online because you can really stay focused. I tend to get. A little distracted if I go into a mall or go to stores and I'll end up buying things that I don't need. Now, you can always do that online too, but I think it's a little easier to stay focused. So start with a list, figure out what you want, and stick to that list. And you're also going to get the opportunity to take advantage of some nice deals. Sometimes if you visit the site and you put some things in your shopping cart but you don't buy, you'll get that email later on that says, hey, there's something in your cart. Why don't you come back and buy for 10% off, 15% off? That's a little trick that I use a lot. And then I'll go back once I've got the promotional code and buy it for less. So sometimes waiting a little bit can work in your favor. Oh, that's awesome because technology is so crazy. It's If you go on Nordstrom's and you look for a tie, I mean, on my computer, 95%, you know, it's just ties here, you know, right? <laughs> but, yeah, then you can get it for a little bit cheaper. So that's a phenomenal idea. Yeah, so there are all these tricks that we can use, and the idea is really make a plan. You know, and if you're not sure what your income is and your outgo is, what your expenses are, it's very easy to overspend. 
So make a plan. You know, if you don't have a budget, maybe this is a good time to do it. Think about how you can spend next year in a way that's going to keep you under budget. Think about all the things that we talked about, cell phone plans, using a site like trackphone.com, looking at insurance, looking at all the recurring expenses that you've got, cell phone, uh, whatever it is that you're spending on a monthly basis. That's where you can really cut back. And even things like housing, could you cut back on your housing? Could you downsize Maybe take in a roommate. I mean, there are really some radical things that you can do if you want to cut back. Um, but you don't have to do anything radical. You can make a few small changes every month. And just, you know, over a year's worth of time, you're going to see some substantial savings. If you do a little something each month to decrease expenses and increase your income, if you can do both of those things at the same time. That's the secret to being able to put away more money for retirement or the future. The key is don't start spending more when you make more. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, easier said. Easy, than yeah, that. right. You, I, you live in Southern California. How many times, Alan, we see people that have a million dollar income and they have nothing? They got, they got nothing. And I'm still, I'm still thinking about this plan. I like the idea because I will go to Costco to get some coffee and lettuce and and some berries. And then you walk out two, two, three hundred dollars. And then what do you got? I got a sweater. I've got a video. Christmas vacation. Right. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we got New Year's resolutions coming up here at the end of the month because a lot of people, even they, they don't take sound advice. Some people are going to overspend and then they're going to have this hangover. What are some tips that we can give? To say, all right, well, let's put in a budget. No one likes to budget, but are, what, what are some easier ways maybe that we could budget a little bit better and save a little bit more money? Yeah, so there are some really easy ways to plan. It doesn't have to be complicated. I like the 50-30-20 rule. And what that is, is you're going to spend 50% of your income on necessity. So these are things like your housing, food, your debt payments. You're going to spend 30% on variable items, so things that you've got some ability to change on a monthly basis, so variable things. So maybe that's dining out, clothes, some things that you have a lot more power over. 20% put that away in savings, either in an emergency fund or putting that away for retirement. So if you think about it in a big picture sense, 50, 30, 20, it can be a lot more manageable. You don't have to manage every penny of your budget, but if you can think about it in big chunks, that will help you get a handle on it and, and understand the big picture of what's happening with your finances. Are you? Would you look at net pay um, after you, you get your paycheck, or would you look at gross? I like to look at your net because that's really showing you, you know, what you've got coming in. Now, however, if you're doing, uh, let's say, a 401k at work, um, then you might want to look at gross because that's going to be coming off the top uh, pre-tax. So it really depends on your situation. If you've got a 401k at work that you're contributing to, you might want to go for gross and look at it that way. Um, either way, either way to tackle it is, is a good plan. It's a good place to start. Uh, if you can get up to 20% savings, man, that's just fantastic. You'll be able to really set yourself up for a very comfortable retirement if you get started with 20% savings. Would you do that first? Would you say, all right, well, here, I'm going to put 20% in savings and then kind of figure it and then back everything else out? Or, or what, what order would you look at? Yeah, that's a great way to do it. First, you want to make sure that you've got some emergency savings set aside. If you put money in a retirement account, that's wonderful. But if you pull it out of the retirement account, you're going to get hit with some early withdrawal penalties. So make sure that you've got enough savings on hand first. So that's where I start. 
Make sure you've got at least a few thousand dollars in savings. Ideally, you're going to have several months worth of living expenses on hand. Once you've got a little bit of savings under your belt, then it's time to begin getting really aggressive with your savings. So making sure that you're putting away at least 10%, that's a great goal. If you can do more, that's fantastic. Putting away uh, a regular amount each month in either a 401k at work or an IRA. Once you've got that going, then I like people to really get aggressive on their debt. Um, Start paying down some of these credit card debts and other things And in some cases, you're going to be doing that simultaneously, right? You're going to be saving a little bit for retirement, and you're going to be putting money aside to pay down those debts. So if you can do a little bit of that all at once, a little savings, a little retirement, a little bit of debt payment, you're going to really put yourself in a great position, uh, cutting out that interest expense and making sure that you've got plenty set aside for the future. So there's, there's some financial planners out there that would say, you know what, start with the emergency fund a small one, pay off the debt, then build your emergency fund, and then go to retirement savings. But would you advocate more kind of a little of each? Do you think that's a better approach? I really do. I feel like if you don't get started with retirement savings, even if it's just 1%, even if it's just $50 a month, if you don't get started, it's hard to get the motivation to pick it up. So if you can put away even small amounts, what you're doing is creating the habit of saving and you're creating the infrastructure so that you've got those accounts open, you've got them, and you know, you've know you got the money flowing in, even if it's just a small amount. So the debt down pay, or the debt repayment is very, very important. And certainly, if you've got dangerous debts like tax liens or child support that's unpaid or some really dangerous debts, you, you definitely need to tackle those first. But if we're just talking about regular consumer debt, like credit card debt, um, you want to pay that down first, certainly, but also make sure you've got a little bit going toward the retirement at the same time. You're going to be so glad that you did that because you can never make up that lost time if you start too late. Your retirement savings may already be well underway, but do you know when you'll be ready to use it? Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download your gift from Joe and Big Al, a retirement readiness guide with little-known secrets about creating income to last a lifetime, making the most of your investment strategy in retirement, controlling your taxes, and much more. You'll learn seven plays to help get you retirement ready, despite all these uncertainties we're facing. Download the free retirement readiness guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And happy holidays from Your Money, Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Klopine. He's a CPA. We're talking to the money girl, Laura Adams. Laura, do you have any um, suggestions or advice on what is the best way to chip away at consumer debt? Um, there's a, like the snowball effect, I think, is one term in avalanche or something like that. Is, <laughs> is, 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 there, is, is there a better way than others um, you know, to, to kind of take a look at to tackle the debt? Yeah, you definitely need to list them all out, and I do like to list them out in order of interest rate, so highest to lowest rate. You want to tackle the highest rate debts first because they're costing you the most. Now, some people say, well, what if I've got a little tiny debt and it's small, a smaller interest rate? And I say, yeah, if it makes you feel better and that debt is just really just driving you nuts and you want to get rid of it, by all means, go for it and get that debt finished first. But for the majority of people who have a lot of debt, you know, on multiple credit cards, look at it from highest to lowest interest rate. As you chip away, you're going to find that you've got more savings 
to put toward the next debt and the next debt. So in general, I like to look at it from highest to lowest rate. What about a mortgage? What do you think if if I'm approaching retirement, let's say, and if I have a a mortgage. Does it make sense for me to try to pay that off, or is it all right, um, you know, to have a mortgage? In re- I mean, ideally, I think it'd be great if we were all debt free, but um, in, in some cases, that's just not um, possible. W- what's your advice around home mortgages? Yeah, mortgages are one of the least dangerous debts out there, mainly because they're they're fairly cheap, right? The interest rate's fairly low. They also come with tax advantages. If you're able to claim the home mortgage interest deduction, that makes it even cheaper on an after-tax basis. So the mortgage is the absolute last debt to pay off. Certainly, it's great if you can, but I don't ever want people to prioritize that ahead of a credit card debt, or ahead of other types of debt that may be more dangerous debts in the grand scheme of things. So you want to think about debt on a kind of a ladder of high to low interest rate and high to low danger, and mortgages at the very bottom. So hold that off, and and when you are comfortable in retirement and you do have extra money to put aside for that, uh, to prepay that mortgage, go ahead and do it. But don't do it if you haven't paid off other more dangerous debt first. Yeah, I think what we see some mistakes happen is that they're so focused on being debt-free that they forget about saving. You know, So they might refinance to a 15-year mortgage and they're putting everything towards the mortgage, but they're not saving anything for retirement. So they might have a house that's debt-free, but they have no other liquid assets to live off of. So eventually they're going to have to sell the house and yeah, or, or refinance, or refinance it. it and pull the money or do a reverse <laughs> mortgage or something like that. Absolutely. Don't ever pay off the mortgage if you are not in a great financial position. You can't eat that can't eat that house, right? You you need you need money coming in uh to, to live on for everyday expenses. So while the idea of being mortgage free sounds good, in practicality it's really not a bad debt to have in the grand scheme of, of your personal finances. So I got a question, Laura. I you, you just did a podcast on cars. Buying versus leasing, and I thought I thought you did a really good job. Maybe you could sort of summarize for our listeners. Yeah, what should I do? Should I lease or buy? Yeah, so it's funny. I have done both. Uh, right now, I'm actually leasing a car because I got a really really great deal. But for many people, it's going to come down to what your goal is. So, is your goal to pay the absolute least amount of money for a car? If that's the case, what you want to do is find probably a used or pre-owned vehicle in good shape. You want to buy it, and then you want to pay that off and drive it for years after you pay it off. But on the other hand, if that's not your goal, if your goal is more about convenience and you're somebody like me who does not like to do maintenance on the car, you don't even want to think about the car, getting a lease can be a pretty good deal. Uh, you do have to shop around. You do have to think about it in, you know, in, in smart terms because you are financing the lease of a car just like you finance a car loan. You do have to negotiate and you have to go into that deal with a, a good bit of knowledge about you know, what the value of the car is. So it depends on your goal. If you really just are looking more for convenience and lifestyle, a lease might be a good option for you. But don't get a lease that you can't afford. You know, keep it affordable. Don't go out and get you know some huge fancy car uh, just because the payment seems to be a little bit lower right now. Get an affordable lease. That's what I did, and I've been really happy with it. You know, I think too, a technology is changing so much. Yeah, you know, I have a, a year and a half. I think is when I got my last car, and I right. leased as well. Right. I mean, just the the upgrade of technology. 
I mean, it drives itself. Well, yeah, your next car is going to drive itself. It's, yeah. So, so why buy one? Yeah, for, I'm going to buy like use it, it for twenty it, years. It, yeah, my old car was an '84 Toyota Tercel. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have Bluetooth in that thing. That's true. Uh, yeah, if you want to drive a new car every couple of years, you really can't beat a lease. And this is a, a way to make sure you've got up to date safety equipment on the vehicle and you know maybe you're like a a mom that's carrying around a bunch of kids and you want to make sure that you really have a dependable vehicle that's safe in that case a lease can really work well i find that for older people too who just don't like the idea of maintenance on a car they don't really even want to have to think about it that can be a great option too but if you're young and you're just starting out buying a car that you pay for in full and then keep driving it and then send the payment that you used to make to the car loan, send that to your retirement fund. And you can really save a lot of money if you keep that car a year or two or even three years past the date that you pay off the loan. That's great advice. We're talking to Laura Adams. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Where can our listeners uh, find you? Yeah, come to my website at lauradadams.com. You can also search for the Money Girl podcast. And if you're looking to save money on cell phone plans, we talked about TrackPhone. You'll find that information at TrackPhone.com. All right. That's Laura Adams. Hey, happy holidays. Thanks so much for coming on. Same to you. Thanks so much for having me. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to download riveting interviews, get our podcast newsletter, watch clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, and take advantage of a huge learning center full of webinars, articles, white papers, and much more, including our Retirement Readiness Guide. All free gifts for you from YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format this week eight ways to create tax-free income you like tax-free income right i think most people do i do yeah yeah you definitely do hard not to like it uh i've got a list today eight ways to create tax-free income very excited about this list it was written by yours truly alan clopine cpa co-host of your money your wealth so joe should we hop right in let's do it the first one roth iras and uh, Roth IRA, uh, if you don't know, it's a special kind of retirement account that you do not get a tax deduction when you put money into it as a contribution, uh, but it grows 100% tax-free. So you put $5,000 into a, into a Roth IRA, and over time it grows to $20,000, and when you pull that $20,000 out, it's 100% tax-free. It's tax-free forever for you, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, whoever ends up inheriting it if you don't use it. So it's a Roth IRA. Now, for the current limits are $5,500 is what you can put into a Roth IRA. Unless you're 50 and older, they, they let you do another $1,000. They call that a catch-up. So you can do $6,500. Uh, but there are income limitations. If you make too much money, Joe, you can't actually do a Roth contribution. And I think it's, you, you probably know the, I forget, one, one 116 to 132 and 186 to 196. Yeah, so if you're single making less than 116000 you can do the full $5,500 or $6,500. If you make more than 132 you can't do any. And if you're in between, there's a phase-out period. And as far as a married couple, what, 190, 186 to 196 something like that. Yep. So you make less than 186000 you can do the Roth contribution. If you are under those levels, it's a no-brainer. Make the contribution. 
And if, if your spouse is working or not working, it doesn't matter. Your spouse can use your income or you can use their income if you're not working. So the two of you can do $5,500 each or $6,500 each if you're 50 and older, as long as one of you is working and you're under those income levels. Right, And I think why you're saying it's a no-brainer, because it doesn't matter how old you are, you have access to those dollars day one. It's FIFO tax treatment, first in, first out, because it's an after-tax contribution. So you put in your 6500 or 55 whatever it is, and then the next day you're like, oh, man, I need, it. I need it. Well, take the money out. There's no taxes. There's no penalties. No matter what your age is, you will always have access to the contribution. Now, the earnings need a season in the Roth for five years or till you turn 59 and a half, whichever is longer. So if I'm 65 years old, never started a Roth IRA before, I have always access to the money that I put in, but if it grows to a certain dollar level, those dollars need to season until I'm age 70 to pull out. That's the same as if I'm 40, though. Now I'm 40, I put in my $5,500. Next year, I need that money for a down payment on something. I have access to the 5500 even though I'm not 59 and a half. Right, and a lot of people don't realize that. Right. Now, the $5,500 grew to 7000 You can't take the extra 1500 out, but you can always take the original 5500 out. And there are actually some financial planners that will say, heck, maybe this is a kind of another way to fund colleges. Sure. Right, because you put money in, and even though it's, it's for a retirement account, you can always take your contributions out, and then, of course, you have to leave the growth in there. But let's say you put, just to do easy math, you put $5,000 in for 10 years, so you got $50,000, and now it's worth 80000 Okay, and now your, your son or daughter's going to college. We, we wouldn't necessarily you have you taking money out of your Roth if you have other ways to fund college, but you could. You could take $50,000 out of the Roth and pay for anything you want to, including college, right. without a penalty, without taxes. Exactly. So the, you, you, there's full utilization of the contributions. Now, conversions is a little bit different, and that's probably on your list. Yeah, conversions is a little bit different. Now you already have an IRA or a 401k. And you got a tax deduction already, so that this is the difference. So now, you when you convert it to a Roth, you have to pay tax on it because you got a tax deduction in the first place. And a conversion, anyone can do a conversion, contrary to popular belief. It, you it, you don't have to be fifty nine and a half. You can do this at age twenty if you if you have money to convert. Yeah, if you have an IRA or a retirement right, account, exactly. You can do it this at age ninety five. You don't ha- <laughs> if you're over seventy and a half. It doesn't it doesn't matter. You don't have to be working. To do a Roth contribution, you have to be working. To do a conversion, taking money out of an IRA 401k, converting it to a Roth, you don't have to be working. And there's no limit as to how much you want to convert. It's not the $5,500. It's any amount you want. So now you got to get a little bit smarter. You have to look at your tax return to figure out what tax brackets you're in. That's going to guide you a little bit on maybe how much you should be converting. For example, let's say you're in the 15% tax bracket. You're a married couple. Your taxable income is 50 grand. And let's say you you think you're always going to be in the 15% bracket. Well, you can convert $25,000 and still stay in the 15% bracket. That might be a really good idea for you. You probably don't want to convert more because then you'd pay more tax than you would otherwise in retirement. Now, the the accessibility of those dollars on conversions is that there's a five-year clock to take the dollar from the conversion if you're under 59 and a half. 
So there's two rules with conversions on the accessibility of the money. So I'm 40 years old. I do a Roth IRA conversion. I have to wait five years to have access to those converted dollars. So I converted $20,000. So I'm 40. At 45, I have access to that $20,000 that I converted. I can't touch any of their principal until I turn 59 and a half. Or I mean, um, the earnings until I turn 59 and a half. So there's a five-year clock if you're under 59 and a half that you cannot touch any of the converted dollars until five years. Then you cannot touch any of the growth dollars until you turn 59 and a half. Once you are over 59 and a half and you do a conversion, you have access to those dollars right away that you converted. But then again, if you don't have any other Roth IRAs established, you have to wait five years until you get the earnings. Yeah. And, and what's what people don't realize is the five-year clock, as long as you're over 59 and a half, it's satisfied at the very first Roth that you ever did. So if you did one when you were 30, put a dollar into it. Right. That's, that's all you put in it. And then at 59 and a half or 60, whatever, you do a gigantic Roth conversion. It's You, ha- it, you have access to the entire amount anytime you want. It's the first dollar that hits the first Roth IRA starts your five-year clock. So again, if you start a Roth IRA before the end of the year. If you, if you don't qualify for a contribution, then do a small conversion. Even if you're in a high tax bracket. Even, yes. Just, just to get the, the five-year clock, clock started. Right. So then you have that five-year clock started. That five-year clock starts January 1st of 2017. So if the, an, another you know, uh, end of your tax tip, some things that you might want to consider over the next month. Number two is uh, municipal interest. Uh, municipal bonds, which are state, let's say California state bonds, or maybe your city or county has bonds, those are tax-free. If, they're, if, if it's a bond that's within your state, not only is it taxable on the federal return, it's taxable on the state. But you could live in California and get a Minnesota bond. Maybe you'd want to do that because you're from Minnesota, Jeff. Absolutely. So that, in that case, it would be federal tax-free, but you would still pay tax in California because you're a California resident. Right. So if you want to avoid all taxation, you would buy bonds in the state that you live in. Yeah, there's a couple of different types, general obligation and revenue bonds. Revenue bonds are backed by the particular project. Let's say if there's a, you know, a tram or something that they're building, uh, then you're looking at getting paid back on that bond um, via the revenue of whatever project. Right. Um, or general obligation is backed by the issuer, so the the municipality um, is guaranteeing that. And would you? Which is safer? <laughs> Did you? What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I would say in general, general obligation, bonds but not are, in California, well, potentially. It, it, it depends <laughs> depends on the issuer, right? In in what I'm just going to say in general, because a general obligation bond is backed by whoever issues it, whereas a revenue bond would be. Would be backed by the project itself. Got it. Yes. So uh, just look under the hood a little bit, just to figure out what is um, what is um, what is appropriate for your overall situation. Check out Your Money, Your Wealth, and Pure Financial Advisors on YouTube for educational videos on the proposed tax reform and avoiding estate planning mistakes, a webcast on Investing 101, and the latest episode of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, Planned Giving, Strategies for Creating Charitable Tax Deductions. Brush up on your personal financial literacy with hundreds of educational videos to get you up to speed on just about every money topic that affects you. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth and start binge-watching with purpose. Check back regularly. We're always adding new videos.
Back to your list, Big Al. Yeah, we're talking eight ways to create tax-free income. Uh, We left off, Joe, at Roth IRAs and municipal interest. The third one is tax loss harvesting, which is this. If you sell a stock or even a piece of real estate at a gain, that's a capital gain. If you hold it for at least a year, it's a long-term capital gain. You get preferential tax treatment. But if you also sell a stock at a loss, the loss nets with the gain. And if you have, let's say, a $10,000 gain and you sell another position with a $10,000 loss, those two net together and you pay no tax whatsoever. Interestingly enough, you can use a stock loss even on a real estate gain. $50,000 real estate gain, you got $25,000 stock loss as long as you sell those stocks. You have to sell them, right? You sell those stocks before December 31st to create that loss. Those two will net together. And for people that really pay attention to this, the stock market is volatile. It goes up and down throughout the year. And anytime the stock, your your position, could be a stock, could be a mutual fund, could be an ETF, doesn't really matter. Anytime it goes down enough where that loss is meaningful to you, Go ahead and sell it to create that loss. Make sure you reinvest in something similar so you're still invested in the market. But then that loss will be available to to net against any gains. And if you don't have any gains, the IRS says you can take $3,000 loss against ordinary income and all the rest of the losses carry over. And if you have gains next year, you can use them against next year's gains. I think that's the biggest misconception is that, well, if I have a $50,000 loss, it's going to take me quite a few years to use it. To use it. Well, no, there's two different taxes. You got capital gains tax and ordinary income tax. That 3000 is against ordinary income. And then you can continue to carry over those capital losses versus capital gains until you use them all up. Right. Uh, number four is tax gain harvesting. <laughs> if you're in a low tax bracket, which is... this is the, What's this list? The eight things that Joe and Al talk about every week. Yeah. Well, that's first, <laughs> first three out of four. But the, oh, actually, we did talk about number five right too. <laughs> anyway, tax gain harvesting is, uh, well, let's, let's say you're in a low tax bracket. These are all new ideas. <laughs> Brand new. I haven't thought of this for an hour. <laughs> anyway, so you're in a low tax bracket defined as a married couple. Your taxable income is $75,000 or less. And if you're single, it's about 37000 or less, roughly. So that's a low tax bracket. That's a 15% tax bracket. So you can sell enough gains in your stocks up to those levels and pay no taxes. And I think a lot of people don't realize this. When you sell a stock at a gain and you're in the 15% bracket, you pay no tax on the You pay no federal tax. You will pay a little bit of state tax. Now, if you sell a lot of gain... Well, the only the, the part that gets you up to seventy five thousand is tax free. Everything else you'll be taxed at fifteen percent or twenty percent, depending upon your bracket. Tax gain harvesting. Number five. All right, let's do it. Actually we haven't done this one. Rent renting a room in your house. Do you know that rule? <laughs> I, I need to know it. <laughs> you're always doing that. So no one pays you no oh. rent, but you, you got a lot of tenants. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you were... Squatters. If you were to have someone that paid you rent, like yeah. let's say you do Airbnb. Okay. You can do it 14 days or less per year, and that income is not taxable. It doesn't matter. How about if I charge $100,000 a day? If you can get it, it's tax-free. No way. It's yeah. not a dollar figure? Yeah, not a dollar figure. It's just a, it's 14 days. 14 days. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so like let's say, I don't know, let's say you How live... about if someone's stuff is in my house all year, <laughs> but only sleeps there 14 days? 
if the, if, I don't care about the staff. If 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 they're paying you uh, a payment for staying like a nightly rate, and it's fourteen days or less, it's tax free. Okay. So you, you get a little idea for you, Joe. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> now, if it's I don't get paid anyway, so it doesn't matter. I know it's. I'm but... gonna start charging my mom though. But if you want it to, it's so. like Airbnb. Have your mom sign up to your house <laughs> on Airbnb. <laughs> mom, I'll give you a discount rate as long as you're here less than fourteen days. <laughs> Well, she won't buy that. She won't. She needs to stay two months at least. Well, just charge her for 14 days. Okay. And then the rest is free. And then it's still a little tax-free income. Okay. And then you'll have have to gift it right back to her. Exactly. I'm going to have to (laughs) gift it to her to have it get back to me. (laughs) Okay. Here's another one. Selling your home. 121 exclusion. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. We talked about that already. In the first segment, as I said. (laughs) Four out of eight we've already talked about. (laughs) So if you live in your home two out of the last five years and you live and own your home, you get an exclusion of $250,000. And if you're married, it's 500000 So when you sell the home, you basically look back five years. As long as you've lived in that home and owned it two out of the five years, you qualify for this exclusion, which means the first 250000 or married $500,000 of your gain is tax-free, 100% tax-free, which is actually probably... Besides a Roth IRA, probably the single best tax gift the IRS has given us is... Or life insurance. If you die, then the beneficiary gets all that money tax-free, too. That's true. pretty good. That's a, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's good. Although you don't get to deduct the life insurance premium, so it, it should sort of even out. It should be a zero-sum game. No. Well, there's leverage. Leverage? Yeah. Like life insurance? Yeah. I'm, the whole reason why you buy life insurance is because of leverage. <laughs> <laughs> is that I'm paying a premium of, let's say, $1,000 a year for a million-dollar policy. Right. And I die the one premium in. Yes. The beneficiary would get a million dollars tax-free. I, I guess when I, when I say zero-sum game, I mean the other 100 people that didn't die lost 1000 bucks oh, a year. Th- yes. That's what I'm saying. Got it. <laughs> Well, from okay. Anyway, so uh, anyway, it's we're just having a discussion. Don't worry about our list. Don't worry about what we just it makes no difference. <laughs> but I will say this: under the new uh, House and Senate bill, they want to change this to five out of eight years. So, in other words, now you got to look back eight years, and if you lived there at least five of those eight years, then then you'd get the exclusion. So that would be a pretty different rule than two out of five. So I bought my house two years ago. So I'm going to have to wait another six years to sell it. No, just three. Because even if you've owned it only five years, as long as it's, it's five, five years, years, right? Five out of the eight. Five out of eight. So okay. you only owned it five, but you lived in it and owned it. For so five. I live in it five, and then I rent it out for three. I still sell it, get the one twenty one. Yeah, that, that's right. Okay. Now you're going to get married someday. I'm pretty sure. So your 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 new she might be out there. Your <laughs> still look at your new spouse. She's going to have to live and own it for five years. So you better get busy if you ever want to sell that home. If you want the full D- that's exclusion. That's total reason why I'm not getting married. <laughs> Can't do it, babe. Number seven. 121 exclusion. Number Never s- heard of it? Look it up. Yeah. Number- <laughs> Just, it's a big deal. W- when you get married, ask her, have you used your exclusion yet in the last two years? Yeah. Or next year, maybe five years. That goes over well at dinner <laughs> dates. say, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That big Al will help <laughs> Okay. Number seven. We're almost done with this list. Rental property depreciation. When when you buy a property, IRS says you have to split it between land and building. 
but the building part can be depreciated over time. Residential is 27 and a half years, commercial is 39 years, which means even though you, you hope or even expect in some cases your property to go up in value, the IRS lets you pretend it's, it'll become worthless after 27 and a half years or 39 years. So you get to write off a piece of that every single year. So some of your rental income will be tax-free because of depreciation. But then you have to recapture the depreciation that you took when you sold it. If you sell. If you hold the property forever, forever and good. you die, then your heirs get a step up in basis and no one pays the tax. How about that? And number eight, Joe, is I'm sure one of your favorites, setting up a health savings account. <laughs> it, is, it is. So, and so this is, this is for people that um, I have a high deductible health insurance plan that are not enrolled in Medicare. So if you're enrolled in Medicare, you can't do yeah, this. You can't have an HSA yeah. after 65. But if you're in a high deductible health insurance plan, then as a single person, you could put $3,400 into it for 2017, married to 6750 And then there's a $1,000 catch-up if you're 55 and older. Hmm. And you can fund it all the way till April 15th of the following year. Wow. So it's still it's still available. Now this will hopefully grow. You invested how you want it to to grow. But then as long as you use those dollars for medical expenses, and there's a whole list of what counts and what doesn't count. Uh, as long as you use it for qualifying medical expenses, then it's tax free. There you go. Eight ways to create tax free income by Big Al Clopine. We're gonna blog that. We'll get that on the website. Pretty pretty proud of it. <laughs> So there you have it. Eight things Joe and Al talk about every week. Now, if you've got a burning money question about something the fellas haven't covered yet today, just call 888-994-6257 for your chance to talk to Joe and Big Al and have your question answered live during Your Money, Your Wealth. That number again is 888-994-6257. Of course, Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your email questions. Just email info at purefinancial.com or send them directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or alan.clopine at purefinancial.com. Now, speaking of things Joe and Al talk about all the time, here's a real-life tax loss harvesting situation. Here, I got uh, I got a question or an email for you, Big Al. Okay. I am getting divorced, and we are selling our primary residence. After the $500,000 exemption, I estimate we will have to pay tax on about $300,000 worth of capital gains from the sale. Okay. However... I am carrying forward approximately $400,000 in loss from trading stocks. Okay. A combination of short and long-term losses. Hence, that's why they're getting a divorce. <laughs> that's your first clue. Do not trade stocks. <laughs> and blow yourself and I up. I lost 400000 It was probably her money. Hey, honey, <laughs> we need a glass of wine. <laughs> Can I use those losses to cancel out the taxable gain on the sale of the house? Uh, easy question to answer. First of all, I'm sorry for your divorce and situation, but the, the answer is yes, you can. And a lot of people don't realize that. You can take stock losses and net that those against real estate losses because they fall into a bucket called real capital gains. gains. Yeah. Real estate gains. Real estate gains are capital gains, stock gains or capital gains and or losses, if you have losses in them. So the answer is yes. And guess what? It doesn't matter whether they're short-term or long-term. You can net a short-term against the long-term and vice versa. And I know some of you don't think it's true, but it is true. The way it works, if you look at your tax form, is long-term gains get net with with cap long-term losses first. Short-term gains get net with short-term losses first. But if there's still extra short-term gains and long-term 
carry forward losses or vice versa. Those net together before you have to pay tax. And in this case, there would be no tax to pay. So that's all capital assets. Correct. If I have collectibles, because collectibles, let's say have gold. Yeah. Right? Because that's taxed not at the capital gains rate of 15% or, or yeah, right? It's, it's 25. It's taxed at 28% tax rate. Yeah. yeah. Collectibles. And the answer is yes. You can take stock losses against your collectibles gain, which is actually a, a really important strategy. If you have gold or coins or something like that art. at gains, art, yeah. And you've got these gains and you, you would otherwise pay 28% taxes on it. But if you also have some stock losses that you're just sitting on, you might want to sell those stocks or mutual funds, create the losses, reinvest the money so you're still invested. But now those losses will net with your collectibles gain. So yeah, that, that, it's, a, it's a good answer. Maybe with that answer, maybe you'll patch up the, the uh, Right. Hey, honey. Hey, guess I did what? this on purpose. <laughs> Because I, I knew we had this huge I knew, game. I knew we were going to sell yeah, anyway because right. we, we talked about it. <laughs> uh, and right now, too, we're, we're approaching the end of the year, and you should be doing this all year long, uh, but tax loss harvesting is some things that firms only do at the end of the year. And what that means is that you, can, you take a look at any holdings that you currently have within your portfolio that is outside of a retirement account, and if there's losses, you might want to sell those to offset gains, right? And so tax loss harvesting is that, all right, well, you sell it, and like Al just mentioned, you buy something similar. You don't sell and go into cash. So end-of-year tax strategy is tax loss harvesting, which might make sense for all of you, even if you're not selling a house, because then those losses will carry over for the rest of your life. Or if you don't have any gains the following year, you'll still be able to write off $3,000 of that loss against ordinary income. So you can still save a couple of bucks. Yeah. And something else that is actually um, could be gigantic, Joe, between now and year end. So we're talking one month, month of December, is this in the Senate tax bill, they are going to start making you, when you sell stocks or mutual funds, um, if you're not using average cost, they're going to make you use the first in, first out method, which means imagine you bought SDG&E stock a little bit each year for the last 30 years. And so the stuff you bought recently, if you sold it, there's not much gain. But the stuff you bought 30 years ago, because it's gone way up, there's a ton of gain. If you sell half of that, let's say, this year, you can designate the more recent purchases and you have a lot less gain. If you sell half of it next year under the Senate tax bill, you have to use the first in, first out. You have to sell the oldest stuff. So your gain will be much, much bigger. So here's the strategy is if you want to take some money out of your portfolio anyway, you really might want to do that this year before December 31st. So you can pick and choose what shares you actually sell. Right. Or even just looking at if, if for those of you that have concentrated positions just like that, um, that you purchased the stock over the, the several years. So you have large embedded gains on some stocks, but on other or uh, on the same stock, on some purchases, you have large embedded gains, but other purchases you don't because you just purchased it. So before the end of the year, you might want to take a look and say, all right, well, let's look at the blocks of shares that I currently own. What is the basis on each of these different blocks? And at some point, I'm going to have to start creating income from this. And right now, the, the capital gain rule is that if you're in the 15% tax bracket or less, there is no capital gains. So you could sell the stock and buy it back the same day and not pay any tax. So you're just increasing your basis, right? So some of those ones that have large embedded gains, if you're in a low enough tax bracket, it might make sense to 
to sell those issues, right, and buy them back at a higher price, right, and then you take the gain. But if you're in a low tax bracket, you you're not going to pay a lot of tax. So you're just increasing your overall basis within the overall portfolio if you do have concentrated positions. Yeah. So to give an example, let's say you're single, and by the time you look at your income minus all your deductions, your taxable income is zero. Just that's that is an example. If you have stock gains, you can you can accommodate about thirty seven thousand dollars of gains. In other words, you sell enough stock to create gains of thirty seven thousand dollars, and you'd stay in the fifteen percent bracket, and your capital gain rate is zero. So you pay no tax. Realize you will pay a little bit of tax for state of California, but it's pretty minimal. So it's a way then when you actually do, and then you you can rebuy back the stock. It's not it's not like uh, last loss harvesting uh, the wash sales rule. Is when you when it's a gain, you can recognize the gain and and buy back the stock immediately if you want to. And what you've done now is now you have a higher tax basis, so that when you do eventually want to sell out of that stock, you'll have less gain. Yeah, you'll have less gain and less tax. Right. You know, depending on you know what your income I, I, needs are. I think are. that's one of the most underutilized strategies available. I hardly anyone ever talks about. It. And maybe it's because a lot of uh, talk shows they focus on the ultra wealthy or the you know the the upper middle class or whatever. But even even folks that have a lot of money, but if they have low income, because maybe they're not seventy and a half yet, so they don't have to take a required minimum distribution, and maybe they they're deferring their social security and they don't have a pension and they can live off their savings for a while. If that's you, gosh, you're you're in a low bracket. You've got some things you can do. You can either harvest gains and pay no taxes, or you can do some Roth conversions in very low tax brackets. Right, And those are the things you have to do before December 31st. So time is of the essence on that. Because most of the time, when things happen, it's already too late. It's like, well, well, how many how many emails and calls do we get? Well, I'm turning 70 and a half this year. And how do I reduce and my Then how do I reduce distrib- my required minimum distribution? Yeah, it's like, gosh, I wish we would have talked 10 years ago. Right, exactly. But the, or even, well, uh, even it's, two it's, years it's, ago. If it's out of sight, out of mind, they don't, you know, it's... It, I didn't think about it. Didn't really care about it until I was like, oh, it's coming. It's right here now. Right. So now what do I do? Well, and I, I think this whole required minimum distribution, that it's it's relatively new because IRAs and 401ks are relatively new. So it, ha- it hasn't been around a lot. Right. So, so our parents' generation, they didn't see their parents having problems with these higher tax brackets, so they never worried about it. Now the baby boomers have started watching their parents complaining about their tax brackets. And so if you're paying attention and more savvy, if you're in your 60s and retired, and if your income is low because you haven't started receiving your required minimum distributions, maybe you should be doing some Roth conversions because once it's in a Roth IRA, anytime you pull money out of that, it's tax-free, as well as you don't even have to take a required distribution. Right, yeah, you don't have to take the RMD out of the Roth. So it reduces the RMD in your retirement account because you have less money in the retirement account. It's now in the Roth. All right. Hey, that's it for us. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Go to our website, yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We'll see you again next week. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joey Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. So to recap today's show, cutting back on your monthly expenses like gym memberships, insurance, and cell phone plans are a great way to save up some money for the holidays. And paying off debt while you put money away is a great way to save up some money for retirement. Joe and Al may talk about tax loss and gain harvesting, Roth IRAs, selling your house and muni bones a lot, but that's because they're great sources of tax-free income. And that's important in retirement too. And renting a room out in your house for 14 days a year may offer tax-free income, but think first before you charge your mom to stay with you over Christmas, okay? 
Special thanks to our guest, the money girl, Laura Adams. For more money-saving tips and to check out the Money Girl podcast, visit lauradadams.com. Subscribe to this podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.